most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, May 4th, 2022, the 469th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Now, two things before we really get into it. The first is that I made a video about the ghost of Kiev and how that absurd story reflects the entirety of the media's absurd story about what's happening right now in Ukraine. So that is up on Rumble and on BitChute, and hopefully it'll be on Odyssey by the end of the day. And this is kind of my first foray into video making. You'll see what I mean. So I hope you like it. I'm going to try to do more of these The first one was extremely time consuming. So I hope I have gotten this skill set down and can do these much quicker. But I think you'll like it. And I hope you take a look and I hope you share it. And please, as always, share this podcast. The other thing before we get started, if you would like to support this show and the great American patriot Mike Lindell and his great American company, MyPillow, Go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code REASONABLE, and you will get sale prices on items throughout the MyPillow.com website, many of them up to 60% off. You will also get a free gift from MyPillow. You will get Mike Lindell's autobiography. So go to MyPillow.com, promo code REASONABLE, and make your whole life more comfortable. Now, I always feel a little bit strange segueing out of talking about Mike Lindell into something that is very un-Lindell. Lindell is obviously a devout Christian and seemingly one of the most wholesome people who has ever lived. So it makes me a little uncomfortable to advertise his product and then start talking about eugenics, but that's what I have to do. And I know you're thinking he couldn't possibly segue this, but you're wrong. You see, I'm going to point you to an episode of Tori's podcast, Tori Says Podcast, last August. And I remember when I listened to it because I was driving back from South Dakota after attending Mike Lindell's Cyber Symposium. Boom segue. See that? Got it. Always get it. But Tori had an episode with some kind of past research, bunch of video clips, about the history of eugenics in the United States. And one thing that I remember really piquing my interest was the involvement of Stanford University and what was happening in California while the eugenics movement in Europe during World War II was growing. We just always pretend it was only Nazis in Germany, but it wasn't. There was a global effort pursuing a certain global agenda, just like there is now. And the more you realize these historical connections, the more sense it makes that the same thing is actually happening now worldwide. The interconnectivity is on full display. We keep seeing the same sorts of stories and events repeating in different countries all around the world. Stolen elections, massive Slave trades, essentially, that they call migration, 
happens in Europe, same as it's happening at our southern border. The coordinated anti-scientific response to COVID. All of these are worldwide efforts. But we were kind of taught that the U.S. was only the good guy in World War II and not at all the bad guy, even though we imported a bunch of Nazis right after World War II ended. But if you look at the United States historically in the good twin, evil twin paradigm, a different picture emerges. And so when you piece that together with an actual eugenics effort in the United States during the same time, you can see the good twin, evil twin paradigm makes sense. Now, why am I talking about eugenics? I'll give you a second to guess. It's because of the abortion thing. Because as I was saying yesterday, it's important to understand abortion outside of the personal experience it might be for you or a woman you know or a woman you know's friend or whatever. That's not the totality of what the issue really is. And to pretend that it is, is to willfully avoid the fact that there is an abortion industry, there is a market for aborted fetal tissue, and there are incentives within that market to increase the supply of aborted fetal tissue. But all of that is avoided. And the history of abortion in the United States, the history of Planned Parenthood, all of that is avoided too. It is just understood that it's necessary for women to have access to abortion. That is where we are culturally, or I should say that is where we have been in the mainstream culture. We are told that Planned Parenthood is essentially just a women's health clinic that also provides abortions in those rare situations when women need abortions as a last resort, of course. But that's not the history of Planned Parenthood at all. It's not the reality of Planned Parenthood right now, by the way, either. They say they take federal funding and spend it on women's health, but not abortion. That is clearly a lie because the money is fungible. First of all, they don't track it. And there would not be some major societal need to continue funding Planned Parenthood unrelated to abortion. Abortion is Planned Parenthood's core function, and it always has been. And there is a long history of articles. There's tons of research on all of this. But let's just go two years back. This is from USA Today, as mainstream as it gets. Remove statues of Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood founder tied to eugenics and racism. This is from July 23rd, 2020. All across America, video of activists attacking statues plays on a loop while some political leaders voice their support for removing all reminders of people whose personal histories put them in a negative light. In asking for the U.S. Capitol to be cleansed of Confederate statues, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said they must go because their efforts were, quote, to achieve such a plainly racist end, end quote. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said on NBC's Today Show that removing statues is a healthy expression of priorities and values. For those identifying historical figures with racist roots who should be removed from public view because of their evil histories, Planned Parenthood's founder, Margaret Sanger, must join that list. In promoting birth control, she advanced a controversial Negro project, wrote in her autobiography about speaking to a KKK group and advocated for a eugenics approach to breeding for, quote, the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. So that right there is Planned Parenthood's origin story. People now have to pretend it's not, or they do the switcheroo like they do with the Democrat Party generally. I mean, sure, they're the party that preaches a devoutly collectivist ideology that seeks power only on division and hatred, as all collectivist ideologies do. They're also the party of slavery, of the Confederacy, of the KKK, of Jim Crow, 
the party that filibustered the Civil Rights Act and the party who has overseen urban decay for decade upon decade, no matter how much wealth enters a city. So as far as Planned Parenthood goes, they acknowledge that this is the real history of Margaret Sanger, but they say that Planned Parenthood has changed entirely. And they don't tell us how. They just tell us this is absolutely necessary. While they've aborted 40 million plus black babies in the United States since Roe versus Wade. Has it changed? <laughs> yes, we're told. But how? Oh, they offer cancer screenings now. Got it. Okay. Well, then that makes sense. In a 1939 letter to Dr. C.J. Gamble, Sanger urged him to get over his reluctance to hire, quote, a full-time Negro physician, end quote, as the, quote, colored Negroes can get closer to their own members and more or less lay their cards on the table, which means their ignorance, superstitions, and doubt, end quote. Like the abortion lobby today, Sanger urged Dr. Gamble to enlist the help of spiritual leaders to justify their deadly work, writing, quote, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. So they want to keep the goal of their project, which is eugenics, which is the elimination of blacks as a race. They want to keep that secret. And if anybody catches on to their plan, what they intend to do is go find black church leaders to convince their congregations that actually everything is okay. Abortion's all good. Don't worry. They're not trying to exterminate black people. They're trying to make sure that you, young woman, can live out your life embracing all of the possibilities that having a child would take from you. And think about how bad your life is already as a black woman. Don't you want to have all the things that white women have? Well, all you have to do is make sure to never reproduce. It's all very woke. And that spirit of racism continues today as more than 300 former and current employees of Planned Parenthood said recently in an open letter, noting a toxic environment. Planned Parenthood was founded by a racist white woman. That is part of history that cannot be changed, they observed, writing that the pattern of, quote, systemic racism, pay inequity and lack of upward mobility for black staff, end quote, continues. And that's a bit clever. So before Planned Parenthood was a racist project of eugenics, now it's only racist because of pay inequity. Cultural icon Kanye West has made headlines with his recent statements on Planned Parenthood abortion vendors, which he said have been placed inside cities by white supremacists to do the devil's work. He's right about the locations of the businesses. The vast majority of the abortion vendors have set up shop in minority neighborhoods, which can be seen in the scarce statistics available at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Oh, good. The CDC is keeping track of abortions. <laughs> Airtight. Though they are only 13% of the female population, African-Americans made up 38% of all abortions tracked in 2016. Great success, I guess. In the 1970s, when the Supreme Court's Roe versus Wade decision legalized abortion, polling showing that blacks were, quote, significantly less likely to favor abortion, end quote, than whites. Yet in New York City, more black babies are aborted than born alive each year. And the abortion industry think tank, the Guttmacher Institute, notes that the abortion rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. It would seem that Sanger's vision of ending black lives has come to pass, though to be accurate, she also endorsed ending Chinese preborn life as well. It's strange that they don't talk about any of this during Black History Month and I know that no one realizes this, but right now it's AAPI History Month. And they only made that up last year. 
Remember, they needed a big response to all the anti-Asian hate crimes we were seeing. I mean, they didn't point to any actual anti-Asian hate crimes, certainly none committed by white people. But we are supposed to believe that they really happened and that there was an increase in anti-Asian hate. Now we are calling Asians AAPI, which I'm sure every Asian is just over the moon about. Oh, a new label for us. Thank you. I can't wait till they figure out a new label for how white I am. What an honor that must be. So the situation is Planned Parenthood started as a eugenics project, and now it's only about women's health and cancer screenings, but it just happens to abort black babies at five times the rate of white babies. But that's just based on real need. What we need are sex education programs. And if that doesn't work again, well, then we'll just have to build more abortion centers in black neighborhoods. And I say that sarcastically, but also true. Among those who advocate for the removal of statues, signs and traces of racist ancestors, there is no balancing of good and bad deeds. It would be hypocritical to say that racist attitudes and eugenics policy preferences of Sanger should be ignored because it was a tactic to advance birth control that some consider a social good, the position of famed feminist Gloria Steinem. You got that? Eugenics was a necessary evil that brought us to this critical next step of birth control for women. And of course, Gloria Steinem has been saying all of this for like 50 years, while women's happiness has continued to decline. Is she going to reconsider her position? Come on. Everybody knows that the solution is to make abortion more available. But consider Sanger's own words. In an article titled A Better Race Through Birth Control, she wrote, Given birth control, the unfit will voluntarily eliminate their kind. <laughs> Very woke. Birth control does not mean contraception indiscriminately practiced. Sanger wrote, it means the release and cultivation of the better elements in our society. Just this week, Planned Parenthood of Greater New York announced it will remove Sanger's name from its Manhattan abortion vendor location because of her harmful connections to the eugenics movement. And with how committed New York is to abortion, it only makes sense to see this as PR it's not a condemnation of Margaret Sanger or of what the organization does. They just don't want anybody to know about Margaret Sanger anymore. This is probably the grieving process that the very same people and their ideological ancestors went through when they finally had to make Hitler toxic. Up till then, they were totally on board. Gosh, what a charismatic leader. Treat him the same way as Obama. But eventually they had to throw that dude overboard. Same thing they're doing with Sanger. <laughs> Wait till it happens to Obama. So New York removed her name. Back to the article. Why stop there? Sanger is honored in the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery and at Margaret Sanger Square in Manhattan. And a Margaret Sanger statue stands in the Old South Meeting House in Boston, which ironically enough is on the Freedom Trail commemorating the Revolutionary War. How a woman who advocated for the selective breeding of her fellow citizens came to be memorialized with those who built a country is hard to understand and a mistake easy to address. While there are other places celebrating her, these three are a good place to start. They should not be removed through mob violence, but rather through the use of democratic tools. And the article goes on to discuss groups who are looking to do that. I am not going to comment about the statue thing. The statue thing is irrelevant to me. I think history is history. Leave it in place. Learn what it means. Okay. Yes, the article is pointing out the hypocrisy of wokes who want to tear down Civil War memorials, but want to leave up Margaret Sanger. I get that totally on board with the hypocrisy. I don't want to see any statues removed. Let's properly remember our history, place it in context and learn from it. Remembering who Margaret Sanger is, is actually really important. And the fact that these monuments to her exist 
keeps her in the conversation. And it's a conversation that needs to be had because people in my generation and younger were completely misled about all of this. So I talked yesterday about how difficult it was going to be for the Democrat Communist Party to keep this abortion issue front and center and to make a convincing argument, either rile up their own base or convince others that the pro-abortion position is correct and move those people to their side on this issue because they have already given up the ability to say that this is a choice that women make and only women should be allowed to chime in on the discussion, unless, of course, you're an ally. They basically want to eliminate all voices from the discussion that don't support their position. But that's a lot harder to do once you have told the country that there is no definition of what a woman is, and we certainly can't detect it on our own, not being biologists and all. They also gave up the my body, my choice argument as well because of the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates. So the question is, where do they go from here? And we've gotten some answers about where they intend to take this narrative. So let's check out a couple of examples. This is Mika Brzezinski on Morning Joe this morning. Spit on and thrown away in this draft opinion might be tweaked a little bit, but the bottom line is this is setting women back in so many different ways with so many different consequences. And you're going to tell us that the story is the leak. Really? The leak is fascinating. It's historic. It's never happened before. And whoever did it, it's interesting because I think we're going to find out who did it. I think some people already know who did it. And I think a lot of people are already alluding to who did it. And it's not who you think, Mitch. But even if it is, that's not the story we care about. Okay, the story that women across America and the men who love them or the men who might like sex care about is our fundamental right to abortion that this draft opinion overturns. And that's the story. Just to give you a sense of news judgment and what people care about, that's what they care about. Just I just had to say that. I'm sorry. I, I that was disgusting. That was sickening to watch to tell us what the story is to tell the press what the story is, to tell us women who are at the focus of this story, our rights, what happens to us, our health care, our daughters, our sisters, our mothers. You're going to tell us what the story is. It's a leak in the Supreme Court. It's fascinating. It's unprecedented. And there is a fantastic trail to be followed there. And it should be because that shouldn't happen. Okay, so that's your first narrative response right there. Mika is mad because people are more concerned with figuring out how this fairly grave crime of leaking a Supreme Court draft opinion to the press in advance of the decision being released to the public than they are about listening to people like Mika Brzezinski And all of the other absolutely psychotic Democrat communist women and their allies repeat the same tired slogans again and again and again. What Mika wants is to make this conversation only about how we have to listen to women. And of course, listen to women means listen to the communist women. Listen to women who share only one perspective, the one that is approved of and forget about the crime. That's what she wants, because she wants this sort of thing to happen more often. All of the talks that they give, all of the little rants and diatribes about how our democracy is dying in front of us because of MAGA because of Donald Trump, because of white men, because of Christians, because of straight people. All that talk goes right out the window when there is an actual crime that threatens the integrity of an already somewhat compromised institution. So long as that breach helps out their side, the sanctity of our democracy no longer matters. And of course, it's worth noting that The people Mika is supporting 
do not want decisions about abortions legality sent back to voters in states. They enjoyed the 50 years of pretending that somehow Roe versus Wade instituted a constitutional right to abortion. Well, all of that mythology is gone now. Or at least we expect it to be gone when the Supreme Court finally releases its final decision, which we are told is going to happen in the next two months. Hopefully it happens much sooner. We are also told that John Roberts is not voting to overturn Roe versus Wade. So with that idea out there in the public, which is backed up by John Roberts own statements, or so the analysts believe this leak puts a target on the backs of the three Trump nominees, Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and the GOP-appointed holdovers, Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas. The communists and their domestic terrorist factions, which they call very peaceful protesters, are able to set their sights on these five individuals for as much public and maybe even physical pressure as they can possibly apply to preserve the institution of abortion. And there is already rioting going on. Some rioter just attacked a cop in L.A. last night. So Mika takes the position of being the spokesperson for all women, and she essentially takes it as a given and declares that women support abortion. But that's simply not true. Women are actually divided on abortion, according to public polling. So she definitely does not support the position of all women. She does not speak for all women, but she even tried to speak for men who like sex as if the end of the widespread availability to abortion means that people can't have sex anymore. And of course, feminists on Twitter are talking about how they're going to threaten another sex strike. They do that like every six months to a year. Feminists on Twitter, I mean. Women should stop having sex until men do what we say. Oh, so the whole consent argument is just gone or what? Sex is now a commodity on which you can make transactions. You can demand certain behavior out of other people if you are willing to provide them with sex. I remember the good old days of feminism. When women weren't supposed to be looked at as sexual objects. But of course, that's been turned on its head as well. As a culture, we are now teaching people that withholding in relationships is actually a very effective tool of manipulation and should be used all the time whenever you can. You know, as long as you're trying to convince the person to do what we want them to do. But sure, feminists. Pretend to withhold all the pretend sex that you pretend to have. It's actually hilarious how clueless feminists are about interpersonal relationships. If a woman told me that she would not have sex with me until I agreed with her about her abortion position, her pro-choice position, I'd be like, oh, well, this woman's crazy. I better find a different woman. And Every single sane man would do the same. But hey, feminists, enjoy Bumble and OnlyFans. That for sure is going to get you where you want to go. Put a BLM hashtag in your profile. Say you're ethically non-monogamous and make sure to put in your profile that you are fully vaxxed. The good men will just be lining up outside your door. Thank goodness you won't have to have kids with all of them. Am I right? <laughs> you would be pregnant for the next zero years. And not just because of your vaccine, although that might make it so you don't need abortion anymore. So there's that, commie. And speaking of irrational communist women, here's Kamala Harris, who is still pretending to be vice president. This is narrative shift number two attack Roe have been clear. They want to 
ban abortion in every state. They want to bully anyone who seeks or provides reproductive health care. And they want to criminalize and punish women for making these decisions. At its core, Roe recognizes the fundamental right to privacy. Think about that for a moment. When the right to privacy is attacked, anyone in our country may face a future where the government can interfere with their personal decisions. So Kamala Harris is going with the full bore version of the Roe versus Wade argument that was shredded by Samuel Alito in his draft opinion. They want to be able to continue to terminate pregnancies based on a woman's right to privacy. And she's saying that ending Roe versus Wade might somehow threaten the right to privacy. But the right to privacy doesn't exist in Roe versus Wade. It exists in the Fourth Amendment. And here's a little more from one of the stupidest public figures in the history of our country. Women would lose access to abortion immediately and outright. Those Republican leaders who are trying to weaponize the use of the law against women. What we say How dare they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? How dare they try to deny women their rights and their freedoms? It's kind of hilarious that Kamala Harris walked away from this speech thinking, man, I think I was really inspiring out there. And you know, that's what she thinks. She got to do her very, very serious, very powerful voice because seeming like a brave and powerful woman while reading a speech you did not write yourself and representing ideas about which you have no choice on whether or not you represent them. Oh, that's exactly the same as being an actual brave and powerful woman. But they're coming for your rights. What rights? Well, certainly not the right to privacy because Roe does not protect the right to privacy. Roe is premised on the idea that somehow the abortion decision is part of a right to privacy and not allowing women the opportunity to do something like that is an elimination of their privacy rights. But that makes absolutely no sense. Not allowed to kill another adult human in my home and then cover it up and be like, hey, you're not allowed to ask me where Ted went. As soon as you accept the fetus as a separate life from the mother. You have to accept that that separate entity, that separate life has rights. The most basic of which is its own right to life. And we have decided societally and morally that one of the key purposes of having a government is that it protects the life and property of the citizens. The argument is that the state has a responsibility to protect the lives of the unborn and especially the unborn because they can't voice their position. And I would be open to arguments and discussions based on the moment of conception versus the moment where consciousness arises, for instance, or the moment when you can first detect a heartbeat. I think that is a worthwhile discussion to have on some level, and I still think about that a lot and try to figure out where I come down on all that stuff myself. But that's not the conversation they want to have. They want to use this one totally 
irrational and illogical argument that is based completely on false premises. They want to use all of that to justify abortion at any point during a pregnancy. And as we see in California, two points after pregnancy. Kamala Harris is arguing for the position that women have a fundamental right to end the life of a fetus in their womb for whatever reason they choose at whatever point they choose. And they want to have it everywhere. They want it in states where the people in those states don't want it because it's an industry, because they need it all. They care. But while we're on the subject of privacy rights, there was a really interesting piece yesterday in Vice of all places. CDC tracked millions of phones to see if Americans followed covid lockdown orders. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention bought access to location data harvested from tens of millions of phones in the United States to perform analysis of compliance with curfews, track patterns of people visiting K through 12 schools and specifically monitor the effectiveness of policy in the Navajo Nation, according to CDC documents obtained by Motherboard. The documents also show that although the CDC used COVID-19 as a reason to buy access to the data more quickly, it intended to use it for more general CDC purposes. Got that? So the same technologically derived data used by True the Vote to track ballot harvesters is also just available to whoever wants to purchase it and all sorts of apps track us. True the Vote has made that very clear. All of this tracking data is referred to as essentially ad data. Don't worry about being tracked. They're only tracking you in the aggregate. Nothing bad can ever come of it. Except that's pretty obviously not true. And it turns out the people tracking you are the ones now arguing that abortion should be legal based on a right to privacy. Location data information on a device's location sourced from the phone, which can then show where a person lives, works and where they went. The sort of data the CDC bought was aggregated, meaning it was designed to follow trends that emerged from the movements of groups of people. But researchers have repeatedly raised concerns with how location data can be de-anonymized and used to track specific people. The documents reveal the expansive plan the CDC had last year to use location data from a highly controversial data broker, SafeGraph, the company the CDC paid $420,000 for access to one year of data, includes Peter Thiel and the former head of Saudi intelligence among its investors. Google banned the company from the Play Store in June. You got that? Peter Thiel is a bad rich person. Google, Sundar Pichai, Eric Schmidt, they're the good people. The CDC used the data for monitoring curfews, with the documents saying that SafeGraph's data has been critical for ongoing response efforts, such as hourly monitoring of activity in curfew zones or detailed counts of visits to participating pharmacies for vaccine monitoring. The documents date from 2021. Zach Edwards, a cybersecurity researcher who closely follows the data marketplace, told Motherboard in an online chat after reviewing the documents The CDC seems to have purposefully created an open-ended list of use cases, which include monitoring curfews, neighbor-to-neighbor visits, visits to churches, schools, and pharmacies, and also a variety of analysis with this data specifically focused on quote-unquote violence. The document doesn't stop at churches. It mentions places of worship. Motherboard obtained the documents through a Freedom of Information Act request with the CDC. The documents contain a long list of what the CDC describes as 21 different, quote unquote, potential CDC use cases for data. They include track patterns of those visiting K through 12 schools by the school and compare to 2019 compare with EPI metrics, environmental performance index metrics, if possible. Examination of the correlation of mobility patterns data and rise in COVID-19 cases, movement restrictions, border closures, interregional and night curfews to show compliance. 
examination of the effectiveness of public policy on the Navajo Nation. Okay, so they're tracking everybody to see whether or not the commands they give are actually being followed by people by choice compliance. They are focused on finding out whether or not the population at large is going to obey their commands so that they can adjust their commands in service of achieving greater compliance. This is societal control on a mass scale. This is what the technocracy is. And this article is a bit long, but worth checking out. And obviously, maintain your skepticism, understand what Vice's point of view is, understand that there is a reason this is being put out, and it's not to protect the citizenry. But some of the use cases are not explicitly linked to the COVID-19 pandemic. One reads, quote, Research points of interest for physical activity and chronic disease prevention, such as visits to parks, gyms, or weight management businesses. Another section of the document elaborates on the location data's use for non-COVID-19 related programs. CDC also plans to use mobility data and services acquired through this acquisition to support non-COVID-19 programmatic areas and public health priorities across the agency, including, but not limited to, travel to parks and green spaces, physical activity and mode of travel, and population migration before, during, and after natural disasters. It reads, The mobility data obtained under this contract will be available for CDC agency-wide use and will support numerous CDC priorities. It's interesting that they're tracking patterns of movement after natural disasters. I wonder how that data might change once everyone has an electric car that might just shut off at any point. But that's not the only problematic privacy issue that is way more important than privacy concerns being used to uphold abortion. This is from the Washington Free Beacon yesterday. Congress probes Biden administration after Taliban uses U.S. biometric data to target allies. Congress is demanding answers from the Biden administration following a disclosure that reams of biometric data abandoned by the United States during its bungled withdrawal from Afghanistan are being used by the Taliban to target American allies still stuck in the war-torn nation. Now, forget about the parties and the exact details. Down to its roots, what they're saying is biometric data of U.S. allies was, let's say, left behind in Afghanistan, and it's being used in a threatening way by, we're told, the Taliban. But is there any reason to believe that leaving all this biometric data about American allies in Afghanistan was left behind by accident? And if it was, why weren't they like, oh, no. Terry left the biometric data in Afghanistan. We need to fix this immediately. We should alert the entire public. We better alert those allies. Hey, allies, change your face. We left your biometric data behind. It was Terry's fault. But nope, we didn't get that. Just eight months later, we hear it's an accident. <laughs> no big deal. Let's just forget about it. Mistakes were made. What's important is that we have best practices, which we try to adhere to, and we got 100,000 people out of Afghanistan. Were some of them unvetted terrorists that we brought into the country by choice? Sure. But we were just trying to adhere to best practices. We're going to use a uh, an interagency process to remedy it. And now that we've admitted and taken responsibility for this grave problem. You're never allowed to talk about it ever again. Eight Republican senators led by Senator Marsha Blackburn are asking the state and defense departments to turn over information related to the evacuation of U.S. troops in Afghanistan that allowed the Taliban to retake control of the country. In addition to leaving behind $7 billion worth of military hardware, the United States abandoned sensitive data, including biometric data, 
on Afghan allies that are now reportedly being used by the Taliban to target those who supported the United States' 20-year war in the country. These systems, which were abandoned when the U.S. military withdrew from Afghanistan, contained iris scans, fingerprints, photographs, occupational data, home addresses, and names of relatives, the senators wrote, according to a copy of the letter obtained exclusively by the Washington Free Beacon. The Taliban is using this personal information to increase targeted killings, torture, and forced disappearances of Afghans who helped the United States. The senators warned that the Taliban will continue to target the vulnerable with equipment and information that the Biden administration left behind. The probe comes just weeks after Human Rights Watch, an advocacy organization, released a bombshell report detailing how the Taliban is is using abandoned biometric data to eradicate those who worked alongside the United States. And man, now that I know it was Human Rights Watch... It kind of sounds like they're protecting allies of the global communist state over there. Why else would they be publicizing something they themselves support in every other instance? And you got to kind of thank Kamala Harris for shifting the discussion of privacy rights, because that is a discussion that we should be having in public a whole lot more often, as we have completely given away our privacy rights to essentially everything through our continued use of legacy social media, specifically, most specifically, I should say, Facebook, where we connect Facebook to basically all of our other apps. We sign into our other apps with our Facebook profile, which means that Facebook, which has so many of our direct communications and has access to basically everything we think and believe throughout our lives that we feel we should share on that platform. It also knows where we live, who our family members are, how old we are, what sorts of people we interact with, where we went to high school, where we went to college knows everywhere we've ever worked. It knows who our ex-girlfriends or ex-boyfriends or ex-husbands or ex-wives are. And it also chooses what we see every day. But also, it knows where we are all the time because any app you sign into through Facebook and you grant access to your location data, well, Facebook has all that too. And then, of course, there are people who are on apps like TikTok and film themselves all day long. Same thing with Instagram. Same thing with Snapchat. Does anybody ever think about why these apps are worth what they're worth? Well, it's because you're giving them all of your biometric data while you stare into your phone. But sure, the right to privacy is really about a right to terminate your pregnancy without thinking that maybe that's a bad thing that you have been misled about. And let's think about the world they want to bring us into. They want a world where we don't have private property. They want a world where they can track every single thing you do. And they told us all that explicitly throughout the COVID thing. They softened us up with the idea of contact tracing. We can get rid of this terrible pandemic and then we can all go back to our normal lives. So long as we are able to track everybody who had COVID and everyone they ever came in contact with, that would be the brilliant new technology that saves us. And then it became an app that tracks whether or not you're vaccinated. Your medical records will be put on that app that they can track everywhere. So will your social credit score and your ESG score. And so will your cashless digital central bank currency. And once they're able to track every single thing you do and think and say and spend money on, they'll be able to eliminate your ability to do a whole range of things if you're not following the rules up to their standard. They are explicitly taking away your right to privacy in every single aspect and then preventing you from doing things you want to do. Things that don't have nearly the controversy that abortion has. And you have to understand that the government having access 
to everything you do and everywhere you are and the ability to decide what things you're no longer allowed to do based on your bad citizenship ratings. That is the end of human freedom. You have to understand that. They're not interested in preserving any of your rights, which is why the Bill of Rights itself is under direct assault constantly from this illegitimate communist government. Your First Amendment and Second Amendment are under direct attack and they do not hide it. So narrative shift number one, you're not allowed to talk about the leak. The conversation must be focused on what the loudest feminists want it to be focused on narrative shift. Number two, this is all about privacy and privacy rights. They must be preserved. And the way to preserve privacy rights is to keep Roe versus Wade in place. And for narrative shift, number three, let's go to the enfeebled usurper of the free world himself, Joe Biden. But before we hear him address abortion directly, Let's hear what he thinks about the people on the other side who represent well more than half the country at this point. What happens if you have a state changes the law saying that 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 children who are LGBTQ can't be in classrooms with other children? Is that is that legit under the way that the decision is written? What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history, in recent American history. Ah, yes. The decision on Roe versus Wade makes it impossible for gay kids to go to school with straight kids. What would happen if that happened? He asks. Well, the truth is there might be way fewer parents that were convincing their children that they're gay or trans. And I know you're not allowed to say that. We have to pretend that woke progressives are not tricking their children about gender and sexual orientation. Of course they're not. Their kindergarten teachers are doing that. But oh, MAGA, MAGA is so extreme. Yes, extremely committed to the constitutional republic America was meant to be. Extremely committed to ensuring that the United States doesn't fall victim to the global communist order. You nailed it, Joe. But what's his real position on the Roe versus Wade issue? One of the reasons why I voted against a number of the members in the court, they refused to acknowledge that there's a Ninth Amendment that refused to acknowledge the right to privacy. I mean, there's so many fundamental rights that are affected by that. And I'm not, allow- I'm not prepared to leave that to the, the whims and the, and the, uh, of the public at the moment. So according to the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, the draft opinion on Roe versus Wade fails to take into account the Ninth Amendment. And the Ninth Amendment is the one that ensures that any rights not named in the Constitution are not therefore denied to the citizens by virtue of them not being named. It says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. That's pretty simple. So. I guess maybe the fake president is trying to claim that now because the Constitution doesn't mention abortion, that means that the people preserve the right to abortion. I think that has to be his logic. I'm not sure I'm right about that, but I'm not even certain what else he could possibly mean. Because if he's just talking about abortion as a matter of law, voting on that and making that decision would be something that gets sent back to the states if Roe versus Wade is overturned. People would actually collectively vote on that issue and decide state by state. So that's ridiculous. But 
The concerning narrative shift that he's making here is the argument that he somehow has the power and that it's a good thing to claim that he's not prepared right now to leave this sort of decision up to the whims of the people. Doesn't matter what religious beliefs people might hold and how that might inform their policy positions. It doesn't matter that people strongly hold differing beliefs about when life is formed and the sanctity of that life. None of that matters. It's not the people's decision to make. That decision is for people like Joe Biden to make for everyone else. That is his explicit position on this. It doesn't matter what the people want. The state needs abortion. It's important to him whether or not it's important to the people. And, you know, I talked a few days ago about the effort to eliminate student debt and how that's basically an admission that the benefits of a college education no longer hold enough value for the student that the student can achieve in such a way that paying off the college debt is easy and they go on to a very fruitful career. College education is not worth it for the student. That is what the state is admitting when it proposes eliminating all of college debt. But the college education is still worth it for the state. The state still benefits from it. That's why the state incentivizes it. And we have the same situation here with abortion. As sick as that sounds. If the people do not want abortion to be legal, that is still not good enough for the global communist state. People don't have a choice about that. The state makes that choice. And why is the state choosing to flex the state's power over this issue? Is it because they think they are looking out for the lives of citizens because the citizens are too dumb to make these decisions for themselves? The state, as represented by these communists, certainly denies the value of the life within the womb, but it also denies the value, the views of the people whose lives these rules are set out to govern. Joe Biden just said in no uncertain terms that he is uncomfortable with abiding the will of the people. And while this might just be becoming obvious for the first time to all sorts of people, this is exactly the standpoint that these degenerate communists have taken for the last two years when it comes to our election. The will of the people does not matter to them at all. They prove that every single time they steal a vote. They prove that every time they take a payoff to keep schools closed or keep your kids in masks or promote the vaccine. The will of the people is irrelevant to their entire political movement, to the entire one world global communist agenda. The state has a need for abortion, even if the people don't want it. So the state will continue to support abortion and continue to incentivize abortion because they need the abortion industry because they need aborted fetal tissue for who knows what. Let's just pretend we have no idea. And the truth is we should never worry about what they're using it for. According to them, they're creating a global utopia. And maybe you just can't see it now, but that doesn't mean it's not there. It would already exist if it weren't for all of those MAGA extremists slowing down their progress, being on the wrong side of history, obviously. So it's no longer about women's right to choose. It's no longer about my body, my choice. And it's definitely not about the crime that was committed at the Supreme Court, which threatens to undermine one of our three branches of government. It's about withholding sex from men. It's about focusing only on the conversation that feminists want to focus on. It's about preserving the right to privacy. And it's about knowing that the government 
must make this decision and not the people. Because abortion as an institution must be preserved, despite the fact that its roots are in eugenics and racism. It's hard to see the future that they have in store for us. And man, it's so confusing that these people are supporting actual Nazis in Ukraine. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!